Welcome to Watershed's July podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. Delighted to welcome you to this podcast, which is All Things Cinema Rediscovered, which is a festival happening uh, between 28th of July to the 1st of August. Cancelled last year, uh, unfortunately, for obvious reasons, and so delighted to get it back up and running this year. And there's lots to talk about. And uh, joining me in this conversation is Adam Murray, um, who's a film programmer, writer, critic and broadcaster, and is involved in a new initiative, Bristol Black Horror Club, which he will be talking about later, I'm absolutely sure. How are you doing, Adam? Pretty good, Mark. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited to be here and um, well, that we're going to kind of like get stuck into Cinema Rediscovered. It's been a long time coming. Well, it has and delayed by that year. We had we had so much planned for, for last year. I won't go on about the fact that we had John Sales, the great American independent director, uh, lined up. We paid for his flights. Uh, we'd sorted his hotel out. He was due to come over last year. I'm not going to go on about that, Adam. And I'm not <laughs> going to go. And I'm not going to go on about the fact that um, it was it was all based around the, the restoration of his great film Mate One. Yes. Um, and so to, to have the plug pulled on that, as I say, for you know for obvious reasons, um, it, it was was just such a downer. But delighted. It's, it's, it's heart, heartbreaking. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. John, well, I mean, John Sales. I know exactly. It's, we'll it's, get back to John Sales. I tell you, it's, if it's if it's one of the things that Cinema Rediscovered will do in future editions, it's it's to get John Sales back. And, and he's and, a he's a hero. Yeah, I mean, he's such a hero a of mine. Figure, such a great figure sure. of of independent American cinema. Um, so do do listeners do go back to John Sales' back catalogue? We could we could do a whole podcast on John Sales. Actually, oh yeah, we? for sure. Well, you know what it's like. We'll just end up nattering for hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they, but this year, yeah, really so delighted to 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 get um, the lineup that we've got. And I, I think I've said to you earlier, my my strap line for for cinema rediscovered. Um, when people ask me, you know, why why are you showing these older films? back in the cinema screen my 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 reply is that the the future of cinema is its past um and i felt that really strongly because of attending festivals like um il cinema di trovato in bologna which i'm sure i've mentioned in this podcast before but which is that it is like this great celebration um and care for the history of cinema um you know restoring older films um just looking at that rich history of film culture, because film's been going now for over 125 years. It's developed this, um, as I say, rich history, which people can access online um, anywhere now. No, I couldn't in my um, day earlier on. I couldn't, but but there's more to be. Yeah, I mean, I mean and again, yeah, I, I would say the same. Certainly for sort of student days, it was it, you'd be very lucky to. If you're really lucky, you'd have access to maybe like a, a BFI archive pass or something if you wanted to, you know, or if, you, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a decent library um, where you could access certain titles. I mean, it's, it's, I used to think it was always a, a bit of a mission. So I used to sort of relate um, that to kind of, you know, like record diggers who kind of go out. Yeah. And, there was a real kind of similar comparison. You're trying to find that original recording yes. that original pressing and and that is still the same although film is 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 reproduced and renewed restored 
Um, in in Bologna, actually, they do screen off of um, um, they have screened off, off of nitrate in the past, which was kind of early oh. early form of film. Incredible. Um, and and it was in in that festival that you know. Again, I'm sure I have said this, and I've bored listeners with this story. Certainly, people that know me say, "Oh no, he's not going to go on about my darling Clementine again." But I shall. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was in Bologna. Um, uh, uh, Il Cinema di Trovato, where I saw a restored print of John Ford's My Darling Clementine in a packed cinema, about 500 people, a lot of young people there because there's a lot of students that were coming from different parts of America, large part, Italy, etc. And the, the festival director, um, Peter von Bach, just introduced it by saying, this is the greatest American film ever made. Exit, stage left. And as a, as as the credit as as the start of the film um, came up, I was thinking, hang on a minute, Peter, it's not even John Ford's greatest film. What are you talking about? But by the end of the film, I found myself thinking, you know what, he might be right. It may well be the greatest American film ever made. And I realised that it was seeing it in the cinema. Yes. In, in a new, in that yeah. restored print, as though it was just... Collect, collect, collective experience. Collective yes, experience. collective experience. And there's something about that print. Yeah, and seeing it on a on a big screen, yeah. and it and it changed it changed my understanding of it, and it made me think about American cinema. It made me think more closely about it, you know the films of John Ford. It made me think about how it sat in relationship to that canon of cinema. So mm. at that moment in time, it, it seemed like that was the most important discussion <laughs> that was being had, and it, and it was the ability of the festival to reframe. The, the a kind of history of cinema. Um, and that really just got me um, that we must, you know, got, we've got to do this in Bristol. So, you know, came back and there's a great cinephile um, community in Bristol, of which you, you're very much part of, and decided that let, let, let's put the whole show on here. Why not? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's... But it was really that communal experience that you described, which, of course, we've been deprived of for the past year and a half it's gone it's gone completely AWOL um yeah so very there, much so so there's another reason there for for um really celebrating that communal aspect of of cinema going but 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 so so that was the kind of um basis on which um cinema rediscovered uh, came about and this year you, you know we've got some fantastic um strands screenings the the season I've been working on in particular is um, looking at 1971 in Hollywood. I I had, actually, it was in Bologna that I saw Easy Rider, um, a restored print of Easy Rider. Wow. Uh, not yeah. 1971, obviously, 1968, I think, um, but really marked that change in Hollywood um, by just, you know, being a really low-budget film about outsiders, um, but which made a fortune at the box office because it spoke to a younger, uh, a younger demographic, younger audience. And then I was sort of thinking, um, because of the franchises that are going on, Fast and Furious Nine's currently out. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And and um, been thinking that you know Jaws came along and Star Wars came along in the mid seventies, and in and, and there seemed to be a you know, something happened with Easy Rider, something happened with George and Star Wars. In between that was this great sort of 
moment where Hollywood was scrabbling around saying, hang on a minute, wait, we don't know what the formula is. We don't know what the formula is. Yeah. Um, in 1971, they, they released films like um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Robert Altman. Five Fantastic. Easy, Five Easy Pieces, Last Picture Show. Um, these are all films that we're going to screen. Clute, um, at the last, yeah, I think I've mentioned there, the last picture. There's show. some nice Jack Nicholson moments in there. Yeah, I mean, and, <laughs> and you see, you know, Nicholson before he became that sort of um, quirky star that he is, um, yes. wild-eyed Jack, but playing, you know, really quite nuanced. Um, I mean, I watched, I rewatched oh, five and, easy pieces. Yeah, it's just... I mean, an extraordinary film. Um, yeah. When you think it, that all of these films were released by studios, you know, all, all of those films um, were were made by, financed by, and released by the studios. And what, what I'm saying is that, you know, Easy Rider, it wasn't just Easy Rider, but Easy Rider sort of symbolised that change. Um, Hollywood, oh, we, we need the next Dennis Hopper. Um, you know, we need the next, you know, the next hit, the next film. Tulane Blacktop actually was the film that I kind of forgot out of that list. Um, and then... It, what what Jaws and Star Wars did was kind of redescribe the formula, which then became the franchise. But this moment opened up in Hollywood, whereby um, you know sort of outsiders, independents, mavericks could make these very, um, very yeah, a, a very American quirky yeah. films of 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 the time of the era. Yeah, that and they, capture, they were about they capture that moment. Yeah, and they were about. Um, I mean, they're, they're actually very existential. Um, in ways thinking, and of course, reflect the, what was going on in America um, because the context is all important. You know, you know, the, the, there was the the assassinations that happened through the sixties. There was the change in American politics. There was the um, race riots, uh, the upheavals of Vietnam. So all of this is in the background when you, when when you see these films, and you can see a kind of America looking at itself, thinking. What are we? You know, who who are we? And what are we? So that's you know put together um, that that season, uh, nineteen seventy one, the year Hollywood went independent, and really to sort of both remind but also reflect on what a kind of um, independent cinema in the mainstream can look like. So it's it's so Clute's in the lineup, yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, another film with the, and again the other. The other, I think, highlight for me is that 71, all of those films have incredible scores and soundtracks. Yeah. As well, just, you know, sonically, visually, and and the kind of, um, the casts that were being assembled, it's, you know, as you said about Jack Nicholson, it's sort of, you get to see certain actors just before they kind of launch into a different, stratosphere of, of, kind of Hollywood way, stardom. Well, before they became those stars, before they went, before they were kind of absorbed into the mainstream and they, they sort of made more mainstream choices. And, you, you, you know, you're right about the, the, the look of the films, the editing, the cinematography. Um, it, you know, thinking about Clue, uh, it was shot by Gordon Willis, who went on to shoot The Godfather. Um, yeah. I mean, a very... Um, incredible dark style um, very yes. brave in, in the sort of framing but also the character that Jane Fonda plays in in that film you know kind of upmarket cold girl trying to make her way in, in New York I mean she thought long and hard about taking the part 
um, because she she was worried about the representation. But then you know really took on took to, you know, I mean mm-hmm. gave real kind of value to the 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 part. Uh, Brie, um, the character she plays Brie in the in the film, and it becomes a kind of statement, a feminist statement in a way. Um, and I think that's the, the other thing that's interesting about that period is it's kind of been defined by by the men. I mean, it's been and actually that period of New Hollywood was defined by well, kind of I, Coppola. Yeah, for sure. I, I think yeah. of uh, sort of student days and kind of um, so much of the the sort of ongoing discourse around. And, and sometimes it was just sort of would turn into sort of full blown arguments around um, auteurs. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, it would be- and, uh, 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 no, on one side, this moment of real, as you said, existential reflection and kind of explosive uh, and challenging reimaginings of, of what it is to be an American or America. Um, and on the other hand, being led. Pretty much by white men. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's how it's kind of largely described. You know, I think uh, there is a great book, The Movie Brats, um, uh, written by Linda Miles and Michael Pye, which kind of, unfortunately, I think, gave birth to that um, that sort of myth, um, mm-hmm. you know, which was about Coppola, Scorsese, De Palma, um, John Milius. But, yes. but, um, but, but actually, it, you know, women were central um, to to that period, uh, it, you know, it could be argued that the last picture show would not have been possible without Polly Platt. Uh, Peter mm-hmm. Bogdanovich gets all the acclaim, but but she was very much a creative force in it. Um, the, the the script for Five Easy Pieces about a, about a man going through an existential crisis was written by a woman. It was written by Carol Eastman, um, mm-hmm. and so we, again, you know, one of the those elements of I want to do with cinema rediscovered, and that we, you know, we that we do in our programs is trying to uncover. Well, the joy is to recontextualize, right, yeah. and, and pull yeah. out all of these historic moments, yeah, you know, to to reframe, and say, well, well hey, you know, there, there are other ways of 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 um, well, just sort of reimagining the, the context and history, of the historicity of these films in a, in a different kind of way that challenges, you know, some of some of those kind of. Um, I mean, I don't know what. What would you say? I mean, well, you kind of you're kind of rewriting the narrative, you know, of the background of the films, where they come from, because they have been so positioned in a particular way and actually forgotten mm. about. Um, because I think that that period is very much sort of um, thought about in relationship to those, you know, great great directors, Coppola, etc. But actually, you, you know, there was Monty Hellman. Um, yes. you, you, you know, the Alan J. Pakula, um, you know, other directors, not not those kind of star names that did the the or, or that are still going. You know, Scorsese, for example. Um, but there's different there was different range of films um, that, that that were being made, and I think it's kind of representing that narrative in that context, as you say. So I, that that's I mean that's the the major strand that I've been sort of working away on that um, I'm delighted to be getting um, uh, launched at the festival. I say launched because we're, we're touring it across the UK and there's other venues that are going to be taking that season. So delighted mm-hmm. about that. But but Adam, you've been, um, there's a couple of um, elements of the programme that you've been working on. Yeah, I've been, I've been submerged <laughs> in uh, 
with, with a lot of this kind of downtime and I guess being a freelancer and not being furloughed, there was a kind of like a 50, it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. One sort of angle of what's taking place is you've got to keep swimming or you'll sink. On the other hand, there's been some invaluable time to sort of rethink and work on a number of different projects. And um, I, th I think what I'm most, most excited about in regards to Cinema Rediscovered is getting the opportunity to do two things because I, I know from as long as I've known you, um, we share the love of a particular film and that's Blue Collar. We may or may not share a particular love of the director. I don't know and I don't want to get into that sticky no, territory. No, let's, let's, let's not get into However... Let's not get into Paul Schrader's Facebook pronouncements. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, th and there is... there's. Um, there's a lot of respect there um, for Schrader as well. But more than anything for me, it's, you know, after we've, we've talked about um, the possibilities of what cinema rediscovered can mean um, for certain film titles, I think to be able to screen and explore blue collar, but through this kind of lens of the passing of Yafet Koto in, in mm. his career, um, it's just a unique opportunity. So I've been kind of working away on that over the last couple of weeks and well, um, just thinking of the cast as well. And some of the things that, that, that infamously took place during the shooting of the film, hmm. but ultimately how those four particular men who end up becoming, uh, sorry, three, three particular well, men three, end, three, end, three, end up becoming legends in their, own, in their own right, right? Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Yeah, for Koto, Richard Pryor. Um, and just to think in, in, in terms of sort of fandom and stardom, mm. what those three men represent now. Mm. Um, because because the, the, the film, um, I mean, it's a tribute to Yafet Koto, who, who, who sadly died. And, you know, when he, when he did die, you know, it's what happens is you, you're suddenly reminded of the great work um that they that they have done i mean he he, he you know I also, I also think he's a really sort of singular acting force Com and, and actually um just i've just been researching digging through some interviews with him he's also really quite um he was quite um eccentric which is something that you wouldn't associate with him because of how grounded and naturalistic his performances are you know yeah. they're, they're quite sort of they're, yeah. they're full of real kind of like um, emotional sensitivity, a kind of a, a strength, which is kind of like an inner strength because, you know, physically he's like quite a heavy set man, mm. but he can deliver all of this nuance. Yeah. Real kind of strength. Well, I was going to say. Also a kind of a real gentleness. Yeah. Because he can play hard and soft. Um, yes. I, I was thinking about, I was actually just, as you were talking For sure. I was thinking about him in Midnight Run. Um, again, yeah, which is which is such a great part. He's a kind of he's just always one step behind, you know. But he does it with such grace. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, Blue Collar, which kind of came out of that period of 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 Hollywood that I was talking about earlier, where um, you know Hollywood took took risks. The studios took risks on like you know Hopper as a saying Schrader was one. I mean, he wasn't a director; yeah. he was a writer. This was his first time as as director, and he's working with. 
he's 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 working with three serious personalities under the influence. Five um, brands, and he's and he's, <laughs> making, and he's making a really heavy film about unions and yeah. you know, um, about, about, well about race, class, and yeah, but yeah, extraordinary um, performances. The three the three of them together. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah, it's magic. I mean, I. I've got to say, I've never seen it on the big screen before. And I think, I'm just trying to think, I think, again, it was another kind of um, a late night television discovery. Mm, yeah. For me, probably as a teenager. Um, and, and, and more than anything, I think it was about what was taking place representationally on screen. To have, to have Cotto's, a, you know, dark-skinned African-American man, prior, a light-skinned American guy. Yeah. Um, and Kaitel, who brings a certain kind of energy and quality to the situation, yeah. because there's there's a realness in in Kaitel's. Yeah, there's a real authenticity, isn't there? You really feel there's a natural. I mean, we I mean, I mean we both know that, that stuff was happening behind the scenes, of yeah. course, but there's a real. What Shreddy was able to capture is a real kind of, uh, well, uh, working class masculinity. Yeah. And, and in you a very see, unique kind of way. Yeah, and you were seeing those images in, in some respects for the first time in the kind of yes. mainstream, uh, in the mainstream of Hollywood, um, which again is is something that in that 1971 season uh, of doing is about, you know, it's 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 people and characters that would not normally occupy sort of centre stage. You never see on, on yeah. the big screen like that. And, and it's just, um, I went back and, and watched it again recently, obviously, but it's, just the rawness that's captured on screen is unbelievable. It's so authentic. And uh, Adam, um, surely one of the greatest opening scenes in a film. Uh, music, yeah, uh, yeah, and that, that sequence is just <laughs> unreal. It Captain really Deepart, is. It's, uh, yeah, that it's, driving, it um, sets the scene. Yeah, completely, doesn't it? And it's really kind of it's it is grimy. Yeah, yeah. you know, you really get a sense of like the the the, the kind of like. Um, yeah, the endless monotony of and, and danger. Well, it's, of it, it, it's that assembly line, isn't it? Yeah. It's the music really drives home the assembly line kind of. Oh, the anger. The, 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 and, yeah, the built up. Yeah, yeah. The anger and frustration. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. powerful, no, powerful a, stuff. A fantastic, I mean, a fantastic selection to, to as a tribute to, to Yafit Koto, as well as, you know, the kind of wider, um, um, the wider context of the film. But you, you, you're also doing the, the Black Horror Club, which I know is something that you've been developing. I think you talked about it the last time you were on. It's something that you've developed, but you're going to launch it at Cinema Discovered. Yeah, which is just, well, I mean, what can I say, Mark? I mean, more than anything, it's like, um, I can't tell you how much I sort of deeply appreciate being able to, to, to do this in this particular kind of way and um, to have 20th Century Flicks on board. It is just, I can't think of a better venue kickstart this new project and yeah. sort of share this experience with, with folks you know and I mean for me it's um you know horror club for me is about trying to kind of look at the history of horror through kind of a, a black diasporic curatorial lens mm. and think about think about ways in which um, horror as a genre can well I, you know 
I think it's about kind of reclaiming some some uh, some misconceived <laughs> um, myths around the genre. Yeah. Um, I think more than anything, I you know we were just we were talking earlier about the fact that you know, cinema's 120 years ish old, and um, during that entire time, uh, two things you know black folks have been on screen from the very beginning. And interestingly, um, representations of blackness, or at least the presence of black bodies on screen have been, have been for better or worse, in, involved in the horror genre from, from mm. kind of day dot, really. So that's also something that, that I find really and, captivating and about this. It's about kind of read again, yeah. uh, very much like the festival, it's about re rediscovering those, those mm. titles and finding new ways to kind of celebrate and explore um, the presence of, of, of black actors mm. and creatives involved in some. I think there's, there's, there's definitely, um, there are two distinctions. One, which is uh, black horror, which is made by black creators. And the other, which is um, horror made by, made by allies, where um, black performers and characters um, are able to do something transgressive. Mm. A good example of that, I think, would be uh, John Carpenter's The Thing in, in Keith David. Mm. Um, or Ken Forey in uh, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Mm. I, I think more than anyone, Dwayne James in Night of the Living Dead, I think that's mm. an incredibly important historical cinematic moment. And do you think that, do you think it was the 60s when that happened? I mean, were there any, I mean, was it more... Um, there, there, is, there, there, there are earlier, there are, interestingly, there are earlier examples oh, right. I mean, that, that, yeah. that go all the way back to kind of um, Oscar Michoud. There were, there were a, a, a couple of films that, that were made um, in the, in the sort of 20s and 30s, which explore science fiction and horror, or at least dystopian. From, from a black exploration. Yeah. Oscar Michoud, sure. obviously. Uh, I think there's a. Uh, but we can get into this another time. But yeah, uh, no, we, we we should hope we, we should. Son, Son of Ingargi is an interesting we, one. Yeah, because because you're going to you we we're, we're going to get you launching the can well we, you're going to launch it at Cinema Discovery. Can, can we talk we, about the title that we've got? Yeah, no, absolutely. Lined absolutely. up. Yeah. So we so we've got um, the Beast Must Die, uh, and I don't want to say too much about it. I, I'm information is is kind of um, on the way, right? Uh, because I think yeah, yeah, we're, 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 by the time this by the time it comes out, out it, things it, should be kind of up and running. Program will be advertised. Um, but I just want to say a, a couple of words about. So obviously, Calvin Lockhart playing a hunter. What's the date? When was it? When was it made? Oh, it's uh, it seventy four. I thought it was much later. And and some classic um some classic British horror names in there. Oh, there's some great that. names. Peter Cushing, obviously. Yeah. Charles Green. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, I think we've even got a young Michael Gambon. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Marlene Clark, famously, Bill Gunn's Gandron Hess. Right. Which we screened at the festival um a few years back. Absolutely. This so there's mm. a lovely kind of causal link there. Mm. And I, for me, that's like a little bit of a wink. Uh, towards Karen Alexander, who who screened the beautiful uh, thirty five millimeter print, oh, Ganjan Hayes, yeah, yeah, which is just a, a really magnificent moment, and that that sort of planted the seed for me, I think, around wanting to pursue horror club. So 
to find this title. It's it's a film um, I certainly remember watching as a kid and just thinking, wow, this is just, this is incredible. Um, and I think more than anything, uh, just to see a black hero on screen, even though mm. the character's a bit of a git, um, it's it's actually great to see a, a black lead yeah. playing a character that isn't one dimensional. And and do you think that came out of the the um, influence of black exploitation that was well, very I think much it, happening? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think. I mean, I think what's really interesting about that is that um, there's something uniquely British about it. So it's it's Amicus um, Productions, but it's directed by Paul Annett, and I think having Cushing in the cast and sort of Annett driving in driving the film in a particular kind of way there's something uniquely British around the way that race is handled in the film. Right. Representationally. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to explore there. I mean, I don't want to give it away because I, no, no, I think it's you just Mark, I think it's a bit of a hidden gem. Yeah. Well, that's, this is you've what, got this, you've this got is this what film the festival is all about. Yeah. You've got this, you've got this cool film, which is set on a country estate. Yeah. Um, which has all of these fantastic kind of genre tropes. Yeah. Um, the big house who done it. Yep, which we would heavily associate with um, uh, Hammer Amicus, which is which is yeah. the studio it's yeah. it's made by. Um, but then does all of these sort of yeah has all of these sort of like wonderfully American influences. Um, yeah. Our two leads, uh, then having sort of Cushing anchor that, and then having this great kind of uh, British cast that kind of pulls it all together around this notion of the wolf break. Which is which is a, a, you know like a, a fantastically sort of novel narrative device, um, which is which is kind of adds to the kind of camp quality of the film, I think. Yeah. But I just think it's such um it's such a refreshing um example of black casting in horror, mm. uh, and and I, I I just um I can't think of the last time I I've, I've seen that screened. Or at least anyone wanting to screen it well, for, for some time. So it's, it's Adam, a Adam, I I consider moment. I consider myself knowledgeable about film, and I have not come across it, and I cannot wait to, to see it. So um, I'm I'm really looking forward to that at, at Cinema Discovered. Um, yeah, I mean, Mark, it's it's a, a cracking soundtrack, a great cast. Yeah. Um, if you want to see Peter Cushing. And Calvin Lockhart just looking incredibly dapper. Yeah. Um, which which both men are inf infamous for. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's it has to be seen to be believed. You know, it's yeah. it's um, yeah, it's it's a really fun camp thrill ride. Great. And and at some point in the future, we will talk about um, we'll do another podcast about the season that we're getting up and running for Watershed in the Autumn um, with the Black Horror Film Club. Um, I'm aware time's running, time's running out, but I just want to give one last mention to, because people might um, look at the 71 season and say, um, quite rightly, where's black exploitation? Um, because th this is something that came out of Hollywood um, at that time. And, and one of the, the figures of that, key figures, was, was Melvin Van Peebles. And yes. I, did, I did actually try and uh, originally get Sweetback's Badass Song. Um, um, but um, it wasn't available. But what, what in this sort of journey of putting the festival together, what, what did become um, 
uh, I was drawn, my attention was drawn to was um, an earlier film by Melvin Van Peebles, which, like you just saying about the, the, the Beast Must Die, I was just not aware that Melvin Van Peebles had made this film called The Story of the Three Day Pass, um, yes. which, is, which has just been restored. Um, which was on in Cannes last year, or the virtual edition of Cannes last year, um, a company in America um, that we work with, Janice Films, um, said to me, I was talking to them about Wong Kar Wai films that we're going to be screening, actually. We're going to open the festival with In the Mood for Love. Um, oh, Wong Kar Wai, seminal, um, dreamy uh, exploration of love in cinema. Um, and then do the Wong Kar Wai retrospective in, in August, oh, but they brilliant. said, oh, look, there's this other film, um, Melvin Van Peebles, there's a really interesting story behind it. So they sent me a link and I, I in, in short, and I didn't know this at all, Melvin Van Peebles made some short films uh, in the in the 60s. Um, he tried to get into Hollywood, Hollywood said no, um, in that sort of casual racist way um, that, was, that was happening. Um, they said no, but also um, he, he didn't have a director's, Card. He wasn't a director, union ticket, whatever. So both of those reasons. Um, meanwhile, this um, great New York um, film critic, Amos Vogel, took his short films um, to, to France and showed them to the legendary um, director of the Cinematheque, Henri Longlois. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. I mean, extraordinary. Amazing. And he, he loved the short films, invited Melvin... Um, who was actually Melvin Peebles at this point. Over. Yes. <laughs> um, Melvin was travelling through Europe, loved the fact that, this is a diversion, loved the fact that in Hollywood, in Hollywood, in Holland, in the Netherlands, they had Van in between their names. So he, he took that, he took that and became Melvin Van Peebles. Um, but whilst in, in France and his films were screened at the then Cinematheque, which was probably Henri Longmois' front room, um, but he, 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 loved the, he loved the French, um, but he also realised that um, if you were a novelist, you could direct the screen adaptation of your novel. So Melvin Van Peebles wrote four books in Paris, one of which, La Permission, he adapted himself to the story of the three-day pass, um, which, is this, which is this amazing nouvelle vague infused um, um, film, black and white, feels as though Godard and Truffaut had made it, you know? Yeah. Um, but because it was, I mean, it's just such a brilliant, I mean, yes. I, it's such an amazing story. I, I just uh, And I think uh, there's, there's something there, isn't there, around the history of black prisons, a, a relationship. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's completely... With, with Paris. And, so many, you know, figures like Met Hondo and people like that were in Paris. James Baldwin were in Paris at the same time. And this yeah. is something that Karen, that you mentioned earlier, and I are going to explore in a talk. Oh, um, fantastic. And, and um, but because it was made with French money, the French submitted it to um, the San Francisco Film Festival in 68. It was shown at the San Francisco Film Festival and Melvin went over there on the French money or ticket. And, and this Hollywood producer said to the festival organisers, I want to meet the French guy that made the story <laughs> of the two-day pass. And was introduced to this young black American. And, yes. and they said, what? What, what are you doing over there? Why aren't you here? He said, well, you, you told me um, to go, you know, that I could be a lift operator in Hollywood, um, you know, uh, and then the rest, as they say, is history. You know, what yeah. a man, man, um, um, Sweetbacks by that song, et cetera, et cetera. But it never, I'd never come across this film. It is so extraordinary. And we've got the 
UK premiere. Not only that, Adam, this may well be the first time it's screened ever on UK. Oh, wow. I, I can't wait to see I'm, it. I'm trying to track down, and I just do not think it was released in the UK at all. Um, if somebody can can correct me on that, I'd be grateful to hear because I am claiming it completely <laughs> as the first time Melvin Van Peebles' story of the three-day pass is screening in the UK, you know, 1967, and now it's getting screened. Um, and then it, it, it will tour um, to other UK cinemas. So, again, another huge highlight um, for me is to get this Melvin Van Peebles film in front of a cinema audience and just that's, that's so cool. Story, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they, there is, there is, there is much more. Um, do go to watershed.co.uk for more information. Um, do come along and, and chat to Adam, myself during the festival and others. Um, there's many people involved in putting this program together. Um, so thank you very much, Adam, and see you at Cinema Rediscovered. Honour and a pleasure. I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.